Father, it's a tumultuous time for so many people, so much anxiety, so much fear, anger, and a boatload of other kinds of sin. It's all around us. We need your presence. We need your strength. We need to trust you. Now I pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. Those of you who are here in person, those of you who are connecting with us online, we genuinely hope that you sense the presence of God. That's what this is about, that you let him engage you. Kids have this remarkable capacity for trust, don't they? When Alethea was little, my daughter, she'd just jump and she'd expect me to catch her. She'd be on the bed and, or on the stairs and she'd just call out daddy and I might be feet away, I might have my back turned to her. She'd just jump and expect me to turn around and catch her. I thought about at times just letting her crash and burn just to slow her down a little bit, but I never did. My grandson Caden is four and he's kind of like that with Julie, only Julie has kind of a bad back. So she enters the door the other day, Caden's about four or five steps up the staircase and he just jumps calls lady and jumps. She catches him, smiles, hugs him, puts him down, looks for a place to hide where she can go grimace for a while. Hurts. But you look at the faces of kids when they're in midair and it's just ecstasy. It's exhilaration. It's that way sometimes with trust. What's the craziest thing that you ever did as an adult that required Pure trust. I can think of two things that kind of qualify that way. The first time I ever repelled, when you hook your rope to that carabiner and you just kind of fall backwards off the side of a cliff, that's a rush. It really is. Buddy and I used to take kids to a wilderness camp. We'd hike along the Appalachian Trail, do some whitewater and repelling and spelunking, and then I'd coach these teenagers to do their first repel. There were a few who just wouldn't try it. They wouldn't do it. Never one of the girls. Girls always tried it. It was, pretty, it was pretty cool. They trusted the rope. They trusted us. Maybe the most exhilarating thing that I ever did as an adult that required trust, like Monica, was jump out of a plane. That was perfectly good airplane, two miles up. We opened the door, sat there with an open door. It was incredible. Just jumped. Julie was right behind me. It was exhilarating. And as she mentioned, it's just peaceful. As you're floating, it seems, even though you're falling so fast. It's incredible. Trusted the guy I was tethered to. I trusted the rope, trusted the chute. You have to. And I experienced the ecstasy, the exhilaration of trust. Now, my preaching partner, Randy, said that the most uh, crazy thing that he ever did that required trust was to marry his wife, Mary Ann. Tom Troth, our other preaching partner, said that it was a way bigger, bigger leap of trust for Marianne, who actually had two of her profs try to talk her out of marrying Randy. Smart profs. What's the craziest thing that you have ever done as an adult that required trust? Maybe tweak the question a bit. What's the craziest thing you ever did for God? that required trust in God. What's the, ever, the craziest thing you've ever done as a Jesus follower? And some of our kids, Cameron Thompson, 
became a missionary to the Muslims, he hopes. Danielle Thomas, working with out-risk kids down in Louisiana. Chris and Marissa Dove, missionaries in the Dominican Republic. It's wild, right? Would you go if you felt like God was nudging you? One of the guys in our church family gave up an incredibly lucrative career because he didn't think that's where God wanted him to be. I'm not going to name names, but would you do that if you felt that God was nudging you? We've had people who are not wealthy, who've chosen to give their first part back to God, which requires trust. Have you ever done that? Maybe you've had a conversation with a family member, a friend, a colleague about Jesus, someone you care about. Have you ever done that? There are people who've decided not to marry that guy or that girl because they're not a Jesus follower. That takes a leap of trust in God. Maybe you've determined to start battling a sin that you know is pulling you away from God. That takes trust. See, I hope... I hope that your life with God, for God, God's way, has required trust at some point, I say somewhat hypocritically. Because you see, I don't like trusting God. I'd rather not. It's easy for me to believe in God. I think it takes a whole lot more faith not to believe in God than it does to believe in God. God makes sense to me. Scientifically, philosophically, morally, God makes sense. It's not hard. Clearly, I've placed my faith in God. I don't just believe in Him intellectually, but I have chosen to try to be a Jesus follower. I know I mess up a lot. I fail Him a lot, but I want Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. But still, I hate it when I have to trust Him. You know why? You know why? Think of it this way. If someone tells you, trust me, what's coming next? If they say, trust me, you're going to pretty much assume that whatever they say next is going to be kind of wild and crazy, right? And I'm honorary enough as a grandpa that if I tell my grandkids, trust me, they have learned not to, right? Because I yank their chains a bunch. Someone says, trust me, probably one of three things is coming. It's either going to be scary and you're not going to want to, or you're not going to understand or you're not going to agree. And I know it looks scary, but trust me, you can do it. I know you won't understand how it works, but trust me, it does work. I know that you don't think it's the right thing to do, but trust me, it really is. See, when someone says, trust me, I know that it's going to push me out of my comfort zone. I know it's going to be scary, it's going to be weird, it's going to be something I don't want to do. And I know that when God says, trust me, it's going to be the same. He's going to take me somewhere that maybe I don't want to go. He's going to push me to do something that pushes me. And after all, isn't it God's job to make life easier for us? Not his job, so we don't have to trust him. I mean, God's supposed to fix stuff for us, right? So we can have a more problem-free, pain-free life. Wouldn't you prefer a life with God that doesn't require trust? Actually, no, we wouldn't. Because people who never have to trust stay little. Their lives stay little, and they stay little people. And God wants more than that for you and for me. And did you know that the greatest gift that you could ever give to God is to trust Him? 
I'm going to trust you, God. It's scary, but I'm going to do it your way. I don't understand you, God. I don't even really agree with you, but I know that you're stronger than me and you're smarter than me and you're better than me, so I'm going to do it your way. Did you know that the greatest marker of Christian maturity is trust? It's not how much you know about God. I know all kinds of guys who know all kinds of things about God who don't trust him. It's not about how much you do for God. There are some people out there who try to earn their way to heaven by doing all of this stuff because they don't trust him. It's trusting God when it's scary, when it's confusing, even when we disagree with him. That's a marker of maturity. You see, I think... This is weird, but I think trusting God just shows you're sane. It means you have a grasp of reality. I mean, what person who's sane thinks that they're smarter than their creator? To think I'm wiser than God, that's insane. To think the one who sent his son to die for me doesn't want my best, that's irrational. To think the omnipotent one either cannot or will not keep his promises, it's dumb. Believing in God but not trusting Him. Really? And yet, all of us, all of us struggle to trust Him. Even us Jesus followers, we are experts at failing to trust God. We know that trusting God is right and it's still hard. You ever felt nudged by God to do something and you just got squirrely and you push back? It's a failure of trust, right? You ever know what God wanted you to do and clashed with what you wanted to do so you did what you wanted to do rather than what God wanted you to do? We call that sin. Sin is a failure of trust, right? Every single time. Have you ever known what God wanted you to do or to give and you were scared? See, our failure of trust makes us timid as Jesus followers. It steals our courage and it steals our peace and it steals our joy. But have you ever trusted him when it's hard? Not always. I'm not going to make a promise, but it can be a rush. Here's the good news. We call the good news grace. God is amazingly gracious with our failures, even our failures in trust. Your failures will never make God quit on you. You may quit on him, but he won't quit on you. Don't let your failures make you quit on God. In fact, I'm going to tell you the story of one of the greatest failures in the Bible, a guy named Peter, the Apostle Peter, a guy who messed up a lot like us. In fact, no matter how badly you've messed up, Peter would look you in the face and say, you think that's bad? You ought to hear what I did, right? If you want to follow along in your Bible, if you've got one on your phone or your tablet, just open up to John 13. I'm going to have the verses on the screen as well. It's the Last Supper. This is the last meal that Jesus shares with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Important stuff. He knows exactly what's going to happen. The disciples don't have a clue. So his words are important. And Jesus looks at his guys. He looks at his closest followers and he says, one of you guys, one of you guys is going to betray me. One of you, my closest followers, is going to betray me. And, and it's kind of like every single one of them sitting in the room is like a deer with its eyes in the headlights. The Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark tell us that every one of them starts saying, is it me? Am I the one, Master? Now you'd think they'd know, right? You know, why would they ask that question? You'd think they'd know if they were the one that was going to betray Jesus. But 
done it before. I know I'm capable of doing it again. I've betrayed Jesus, haven't you? I've betrayed him many times, haven't you? And I think every one of those disciples in that room feared that Jesus was going to look at them and said, it's you. It's you. Because we all know we're capable of betraying Jesus. But he's really good with screw-ups. Now, here's the part of the story most people don't know as well. It's really, really important. After Judas leaves the room to complete the betrayal, his betrayal, because he's going to do it this time, Jesus says to the rest of the guys, he says, the time has come right now for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. What in the world does that mean? Message puts it like this. I like it a little bit better. The Son of Man is about to be seen for who he is. And God is about to be seen for who he is in him, in Jesus. What's he talking about? When do you think Jesus looked the most like God? When did Jesus look the most God-like? Some people think he's talking about the resurrection, about to raise from the dead. Hard to look more like God than that, right? Or maybe it's the ascension. A little bit after that, he's going to be raised up into heaven, and the disciples are going to see him. It looks really God-like. The best teachers that I know of think Jesus is talking about the cross. Jesus looked the most spectacularly like God on the cross. That's where the heart of God is revealed. That's where Jesus is glorified. That's where his Father is glorified. That's our hope. That's powerful stuff. Two verses later, this is what Jesus says. He says, dear children, which means something like this, my precious little screw-ups. I'm only going to be with you a little while longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you're going to search for me, you're going to look for me, but you can't come where I'm going. I'm going away now. You can't follow me yet. Now, have you ever been in a conversation and someone said something that is so mind-boggling that you just... You get captivated by that and you don't hear what comes next. That's kind of what happens in this one, I think, with Peter. See, the next words Jesus speaks are some of the most powerful, most challenging words in all the Bible. It's kind of like Peter doesn't even hear them. He's still stuck on, I'm going away and you can't follow me. Here's what Jesus says next. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new command. Here it is. This is huge. I want you to love one another in exactly the same way that I love you. Don't dumb it down, not your kind of love, my kind of love. Love each other the way that I kind of love you because that's how everyone's going to recognize that you're my disciples because you're going to love each other the way that I have loved you and it's going to blow their minds, Jesus says. Don't you wish they'd heard that, did it? Don't you wish people around you, don't you wish you'd hear that and do that? What if we live that out? How healing would this place be? Well, we don't just talk love, but we actually do it. And I'm not talking about our way. I'm talking about his way. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it blow their minds? <laughs> but it's like Peter misses it. Because right after Jesus says that, here's what Peter says. goes right back to what Jesus had said before that. He says, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? And Jesus, very patiently, because he's always amazingly patient with us screw-ups, Jesus says, you don't want to know. You can't go with me now. You're going to follow me later. What do you think he's talking about? 
I think he's talking about heaven. We think he's talking about a cross. Where's Peter going to follow Jesus? Is he going to follow him to heaven? Is he going to follow him to a cross? Or both? Peter's like a lot of us. There's no filter between his emotions and his mouth. He just says whatever comes to his, his mind without thinking about it first. He didn't stop to process, didn't slow down to think about what Jesus might have meant or how he should respond. He says, verse 37, but I want to come now, right? I want to come now. I'm, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. I kind of wish that I was a little bit more like Peter. I wish I was a little less reflective and a little bit more reckless. If I'd been there in that room, those guys, I'd kind of wish those were my words. Why can't I follow you, Jesus? I'd go anywhere for you. I'd do anything for you, Jesus. I'd, I'd die for you. Even if Peter doesn't have a clue where Jesus is going, he's heading to a cross. Even if Peter has no clue about what following Jesus is going to cost him, because it's going to cost him a cross. They're magnificent words that he speaks. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere, anytime. I'll die for you. It's a powerful promise. Which is why Jesus' next words to him had to cut so deeply. It's a gut punch. Jesus says, verse 38, will you really? You think so? You'd die for me? I'm going to tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, which means before this night is over, you're going to deny me, you're going to reject me, you're going to betray me three times, not just once, you're going to betray me three times. Do you think you're ready to die for me? you think your love for me is that strong? you think your trust for me is that strong? Not yet, my precious little screw-up. Have you ever loved anybody in the middle of their screw-up? Have you ever been loved, genuinely loved by somebody in the middle of your screw-up? can change a person. Now, what comes next in the Gospel of John, in your Bible, has messed up a whole lot of people. John didn't put it there. John didn't put this in the Gospel of John. It was added over a thousand years later. You know what I'm talking about? 14, chapter 14, verse 1. When John wrote John, he didn't put in chapters and verses. They added the chapter numbers about 1,200 years later. They added the verse numbers about 1,500 years later to help people find their way around in the Bible. John didn't put them there, and sometimes they mess people up. They do here. See, when we see 14 and 1, people who read their Bible a lot, know their Bible a lot, they start thinking funerals. This is funeral verses, right? But let's go put this back together. Let's put John 13 and John 14 together like they're supposed to be read. Here's what happens. Jesus says, really, Peter? You're going to lay down your life for me? I'm telling you, Peter, before this morning comes, you're going to die me three times. Nevertheless, nevertheless, don't let your heart be troubled. You just said you're going away, Jesus. You just said, I can't follow. You just said, I'm going to betray you three times before morning. And then you look at me and you say, don't let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> Jesus keeps going. He says, you believe in God. Believe in me. 
I know you've got faith in God. I want you to have faith in me. I know you trust in God. Trust me, Peter. There are many rooms in my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's where I'm going. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back so I can take you little screw-ups to myself so that you can be where I am. Most of us have heard these verses many times. If you've been to a lot of funerals, you've heard them in funerals before. Don't let your hearts be troubled by death because our Jesus went before us to prepare a heavenly home, right? Someday he's going to come back for us. That's true. But guys, these words were not spoken in the context of a funeral. They were spoken in the context of a failure. Jesus says, I know you're going to screw up, Peter. I know that all of you guys are screw-ups, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. You fail because you don't trust me, but I'm not going to quit on you. Every time you fail in your trust, get up and trust me again. Now, it feels different. I don't like doing this too often, but every once in a while I kind of think I need to. I taught New Testament Greek for quite a few years, and every once in a while something about the New Testament Greeks helps you understand something in our Bible. This is one of those places. If you look at it in Greek, it reads like this. Pistuate in God and pistuate also in me. That's what it says. And if you look up pistuate in a Greek dictionary, you're going to find three different definitions. It can mean believe, have faith in, or trust. Believe in God, believe in me. Or have faith in God, have faith in me. Or trust in God, or have trust in me. You'll also discover that pistuate is in the present tense, which in Greek means that it's not something you do once, it's something you've got to keep on doing. You keep believing, you keep having faith, and you keep trusting. You'll also discover that that form can either be a statement of fact or it can be a command. You believe or believe. You have faith or have faith. You trust. Trust me. Kind of bewildering. A lot of differences, right? So is Jesus saying, you believe in God, now believe in me too. I know you've got faith in God. Have faith in me, Peter. Or trust God, guys. Trust me. Makes a difference. You see, Peter already believed in God, and he already believes in Jesus, or he wouldn't be telling Jesus that he's ready to die for him. Peter not only believes intellectually, but he has faith in God. He's, already, he's a Jesus follower. That's why he's in the room, like us. Maybe Jesus is saying, Peter, trust God, even when you don't understand him. Trust me, even when it's hard. Because sometimes, as Jesus followers, we have to trust God when it's hard, when we don't understand him, even when we don't agree with him. Because when you follow Jesus, he's going to take you places where you really don't want to go. He's going to ask you to do things you really don't want to do. He's going to ask you to trust him. And when Jesus says, trust me, it means it's not going to be completely safe. It's going to be risky. If it takes trust, it's going to be a little scary. If it takes trust, it means I may not understand God. If it takes trust, I may not agree with God. But I'm going to do it his way because I trust God more than I trust me. Do you? Listen, guys, I'm passionate about grace. I want you to be passionate about grace. But sometimes in our fascination with grace, we forget that following Jesus was never meant to be easy. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus intellectually. 
It's not enough even to put our faith in Jesus once. He tells us to trust him when it's scary, trust him when it's hard, trust him when we understand him and when we don't, trust him when we agree with him and when we don't. There is in the church a host of believers who, who won't follow, who believe in Jesus but won't trust him. There is in the church because of that a host of believers without chests, men and women without chests. We won't trust him out of fear, out of doubt, out of disagreement. Come on, guys. Let's trust him. So Peter says, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. I, I will. Jesus says, seriously, you're going to die for me? <laughs> telling you, Peter, before this night is over, you're going to fail me miserably three times. But listen, guys, listen, my screw-ups. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Keep trusting God. And if you fail in your trust in God, pick yourself up and do it again. It's more than just belief. Peter just already believed in Jesus. This is more than that first step of faith we take as a Jesus follower. Peter had already done that too. What he's telling him is this. I want you to trust me when it's scary. I'm going to trust me when you don't understand me. I want you to trust you me when you don't agree with me. I want you to trust me when you fail. Get up and trust me again. And then he gives us that promise, that precious promise. He says, I'm not going to give up on you guys. I'm not going to abandon you. There's more than enough room in my father's house. And I'm on my way to prepare a place for you. That's what I'm doing right now. And I don't think Jesus is talking about going to heaven and being a carpenter and building mansions. I think he's talking about going to the cross. I'm going right now to prepare a place for you on the other side of that cross. And you're not going to die for me, Peter, yet. I'm on my way to die for you. And when everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will always be where I am. That's powerful stuff. So we fast forward in the life of Peter, 30 years, and now he's become the lead dog in the early church despite his failures, maybe because of his failures, because he was willingness after, willingness after his failures to get up and trust Jesus again. And now he's in Rome. Not too long from here, he's going to die for Jesus. The difference is, is that when Peter is crucified, he asks that they crucify him upside down because he says, I'm not worthy to die the same way that my Lord died. But before he dies, he writes to us. He writes to us Jesus followers, and this is what he says. Peter says this. He says, all praise to God. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy, it's by his grace that we have been born again because God did raise Jesus from the dead. And now we don't live with fear. Now we live with great expectation. And now we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, through your trust in him, God is protecting you by his power until you receive his salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for everyone to see. So be glad. Be glad. Wonderful joy ahead. Even though you've got to endure trials for a little while, these trials are going to show that your belief, your faith, your trust is genuine. You love him even though you've never seen him. 
Though you don't see him now, you trust him. And we rejoice with inexpressible joy. And guys, the reward for trusting him, the reward for trusting God, the reward for trusting Jesus is the salvation of our souls. How cool is that? So Jesus says to you and he says to me, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know your screw-ups. Trust me. Do you know that Jesus never asks us to trust in God? It's a command. He tells us to. You see, this trust stuff isn't just for the super saints. It's the heart and soul of being a Jesus follower. And did you know that the most precious gift that every single one of us, every single person in this room, every person watching online, the most precious gift you could ever give to God is to trust Him. One guy put it like this. He says, trust is our gift back to God, and God finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for the love of it. So some of you guys who are connecting with us this morning, either here or online, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, but you've never committed yourself to being a Jesus follower, never taken that first step of faith. If that's where you are, that's your next step. Let's get it done. And I suspect God is nudging on you. You can do that this morning. I've got an elder praying for you right now back in the prayer room. I'm going to hang out here at the end of the service. I'd love to chat with you, talk about making Jesus Lord of your life. You know it's the right thing to do. Just do it. And a lot of you guys have already made a commitment to following Jesus. You've placed your faith in God as your Lord, the director of your life. But you still struggle with trust. We all do. We all do. We make these rash promises sometimes about however, whenever, wherever, whatever God wants me to do, I'll, I'll do it for you, God. When it comes down to it, too often we shy away, we struggle, we renege. There are times that God nudges and we don't want to go. Things He wants us to do, we don't want to do it His way. Because there are things about following Jesus that are scary. There are things about following him that we just don't understand. There are things about following him that with our little tiny brains we just don't agree with yet. God says, trust me. And you will never ever experience all that God wants for you. You'll never experience the ecstasy of trust until you give in and trust him. What are you doing? Would you pray with me, please? Father, you've proven yourself to be trustworthy. That's what the cross was all about. That's what the resurrection was all about. Your love and your power. Give us the wisdom. Give us the sanity. Give us the rationality to trust you. Help us watch the difference it can make in our life, not only in our life, but in the lives of people around us that we care about. I pray that when they look at this place, they'll see people who love each other and trust you. And the peace and the strength and the courage that comes from that. We love you dearly. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.